Have you ever uh, had one of those moments where you're around somebody and their relationship with Jesus just makes you jealous? I know that's probably a sin, so maybe we need to find a better word than jealousy. Maybe they create a longing, you know, anybody. Have you, have you ever been around somebody who their walk with Jesus is just like so contagious, you go, man, I want what they have. I want what she has, I want what he has. Remember, years ago uh, is my first year of ministry. I was working on a college campus, and I had no idea what I was doing. I still have no idea what I was doing, so maybe you should leave the church, but like, had no idea what I was doing, and, but I knew I wanted people to trust and follow Jesus, and there was a student that came to our campus that first year of ministry where I was working, and, and his name was Paul. He was from Sudan. Uh, none of us knew how to pronounce his last name, so his nickname became Paul from Sudan. Not very creative, but very descript, and we knew who he was. And this guy, he had had this really challenging life. Um, if you've ever watched the documentaries on the Lost Boys of Sudan, he was one of the leaders of the Lost Boys of Sudan. He had had to flee all sorts of hardship and persecution when he was young kind of on foot across the country. And through a lot of just the grace of God, he ends up in the States and he ends up on our campus to study theology. And I remember just meeting this guy and he was one of these dudes who his circumstances were so difficult, but the fruit of his life was so contagious, just like the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus, the, the faith of Jesus, just like all of this stuff was just coming out of him. And I thought, man, I want what this guy has, like, you know, I want whatever it is that God is doing in him. And so I remember this one night, we had finished this on-campus worship service that I was leading, because I was like the pastor, I was in charge of it. And I get done leading this worship service, and here's this student from Sudan, who I just, I saw something in him, and he and I are talking, and he said, hey, would you walk back to my dorm room with me? I want you to see my dorm room. And I thought, yeah, sure, I'd love to. You know, I'd, I'd been in a lot of guys' dorm rooms as a college pastor had spent a lot of time in the dorms and they all looked the same. They were disgusting, filthy, like just a total mess, video games, TV, clothes everywhere, pizza boxes everywhere. But I walk into his dorm room and it was totally different. The, the room was basically empty because he didn't have hardly any earthly possessions. Just like a, a bare room, pretty much. He has this bed with a blanket and a pillow in one of the closets. He had no roommate, so in one of the closets, it was empty with the exception of just one towel hanging over the, the bar. In the other closet, there were two suits, uh, used suits, because he wore suits to school every day. He just wanted to show respect to the Lord, and so that was just one of his personal convictions. So he had two suits hanging up. He had this bed, his, his toiletries, his books. And then right beside his bed was this old school boom box, you know, uh, that was a CD player. I don't even know if you know what CDs are, but it used to be a thing that you used to listen to music. He had this boom box and this stack of CDs that were right there. And it, my, my attention was drawn to this. I thought, man, this is like this guy's only earthly possession. Like, what's with the CDs, you know? And so I said, I said Paul, like, what, what are those CDs? And he just lights up. And he says, oh, he says, he says, those CDs contain the whole audio Bible. All the books of the Bible are on those CDs. And he says, every day when I get done with class and I get done eating uh, dinner with friends and I get done with my study and I come back to the room and I get undressed, and I lay on my bed and I put on the Bible and all night long as I sleep, just the word of God reads, is read over me. And there's this moment where I went, oh my goodness, the fruit of his life makes sense because I now see the root of his life. Your fruit is always connected to your roots. What you see on the external is always made sense of when you begin to see the invisible, internal stuff that you can't get to. 
It was one of those moments where one of the students that I was supposed to be leading was leading me and just this like holy jealousy, like, man, I wanna be rooted in the word of God like that. And I had, I had two dominant feelings that kind of came over me in that moment. One was extreme guilt. Have you ever been around somebody that is so Christian, you feel guilty? Like, it's like, maybe you're more spiritual than me and you've never felt that. You're just the one that makes everybody else feel guilty. But I'm around him and I felt guilty. I'm like, I'm the worst Christian, worst pastor on the face of the planet. But uh, honestly, the more dominant feeling in that moment was not guilt, it was inspiration. And I thought, I want what he has. I want what he has. And I'm like, God, would you, would you give me a hunger for the word? Because here's the beauty. If you want your life to be rooted in Jesus, if you want your life to be rooted in Jesus, it starts by being rooted in the place that Jesus was rooted and Jesus was rooted in the word. If you want your life to be like my friend Paul from Sudan, it starts with being rooted in the place that he was rooted, and it was rooted in the word of God. And here's what's interesting to me, as I think about Jesus and his relationship with the scriptures. This is a really interesting thing to me because I go, Jesus, who is God, was the one who inspired and spoke and breathed the scriptures into existence. And yet he had a relationship with the scriptures that is still just mind-blowing to me. I'll just give you a few kind of freebies to help you think about this for just a moment. John chapter one says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In other words, Jesus did not just inspire the word, he was the word. Jesus himself is, is, is the picture of what the Bible looks like in flesh laid out before us. Jesus, he was the word, but he wasn't just the word. Jesus was the fulfillment of the word. You remember Matthew chapter five, verse 17? Jesus shows up and he says, I did not come to throw the scriptures away. I did not come to discard them. He says, I came to fulfill them. Every, every dot, every T that has been crossed, he said, I came to fulfill the scriptures. And sometimes we hear that word to fulfill and we make it so religiously. But to fulfill, it literally just means to fill something full. And so when you have a prescription that needs to be fulfilled, you send in that prescription or the doctor sends in that prescription and an empty bottle is filled. Jesus says, you have the Bible in front of you, but only in me is it fulfilled. Only in me does it make sense. Only in me do you begin to understand it. It's what happened after Jesus was raised from the dead. Luke chapter 24, he's walking with the disciples. Do you remember this moment? Jesus looks at the disciples in Luke chapter 24 and it says that he starts with the writings of Moses. This is the Old Testament. And he goes to the Psalms and he goes to the prophets and he takes them through the scriptures and he shows them that he is not just the word, but he is the fulfillment of the word. Jesus was the word. Jesus fulfilled the word. Jesus preached the word. This is, this is confusing to me if I'm just being really honest. I'm like, Jesus, why'd you preach the word? You are the word. You fulfilled the word. Everything you spoke became the Bible. So Jesus could have told a joke and it would have become scripture. He could have shouted out his grocery list and it would have become scripture. He was the word. He fulfilled the word. Everything he said became the word, but he taught it. Mark chapter two says the crowds would gather around him constantly. And what would he preach? Help me out, church. What would he preach? He would preach the, come on, help me out. He'd preach the, the word. He preached the word. He was the word. He fulfilled the word. He preached the word. Here's another thing that's perplexing to me. He obeyed the word. He obeyed it. Jesus, who was God, who spoke the word into existence, who was the fulfillment of it, who declared it, he also submitted to it, which just makes my mind hurt trying to figure out how that works. Matthew chapter four, Jesus is in the desert. He's being tempted by the devil. 
And if I was Jesus, which I'm clearly not, but if I was Jesus and the devil comes to me, I say, hey man, I'm God, you're not. I'm not doing that because I'm God. But how did Jesus respond in the moment of temptation? He says, the word of God says. Jesus says, what I'm about to do is my response to the word, not just the response to who I am. <laughs> just crazy. He fulfilled it. He was it. He taught it. He obeyed it. He prayed the word. That moment when Jesus is on the cross, he begins to pray the word of God out loud. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes we hear that and we think it's uh, a proclamation of Jesus's doubt. It, it was a proclamation of the word of God coming out of Jesus. He's literally quoting Psalm 22. You need to go home this week and read Psalm 22 because it is literally a prophetic picture of the cross. It starts with him being cast out and then it ends with him being raised in resurrection victory. What was Jesus doing in this moment of unbelievable pain, suffering, torture? He was praying the scriptures back to God. He was the word, he fulfilled the word, he taught the word, he obeyed the word, he prayed the word. And here's what struck me this week, if I go, if Jesus, the son of God, filled with the spirit of God, sent to bring the kingdom of God, knew he needed the word of God, then why am I so convinced I can live without it? If Jesus knew that man did not live by bread alone, but on every word that came out of the mouth of God, why do we believe that the word of God is supplemental to our lives? as opposed to foundational. If you wanna be rooted in Jesus, it requires you to be rooted where Jesus was rooted. And where was Jesus rooted? He was rooted in the, help me out church, he was rooted in the, the word of God. So I love about Psalm chapter one, open up your Bibles if you have this with me. It's one of my favorite Psalms. It's one of, uh, it, it's a verse that's just so close to my family's heart. After each of my boys were born, we'd spend the first, Six months or so, you know, every night as you're rocking them to sleep, this was the psalm that I would just declare over their lives. I'm like, Lord, help this to be true. Psalm chapter one starts like this. And you're gonna see all of the grit and the grace, the persistence and the resistance working together in this psalm. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And so he starts by talking about, hey, God's done something great in your life and you're gonna have to, you have to respond with a little bit of grit, and that grit is gonna require you to resist the ways of the culture around you. It says, you experiencing blessing is gonna require you to resist some things, but it's gonna also require you to, to persist in some things. And this is what he says, look at verse two. He says, but here's the person who's blessed. Blessed are those who, read this word out with me. Blessed are those who, come on, say it with me. Blessed are those who, Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither, whatever they do prospers. But not so for the wicked person. They're like chaff, like a, a little bit of dust, like a, a, a speck. They're like chaff that when the wind blows, they're blown away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Look back at verse two with me. He says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whose delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I, lo I love this, this moment. Uh, earlier this week, I talked with a good friend of mine. He said, Dave, as human beings, all of us know how to delight in someone or something. Most of us just don't know how to delight in God. 
We know what it means to delight. The things that you delight in, you give your time, you give your energy, you give your daydreams to, you know, where your mind goes when you have nothing to do, that's what you delight in. What you spend your money on freely, what you work incessantly to get into your calendar, those are the things that you delight on. And the, and the reality is we all know how to delight in something. We know how to delight in that relationship. We know how to delight in that sports team. We know how to delight in our work. We know how to delight in our hobbies. The question is, do we know how to delight in the ways of God? I love this. He, he, says, he says, blessed is the person who delights in the word of God, who, who thinks about it, who meditates. Oh, I just thought about my friend laying in his dorm room, listening to the word of God being read over him. And look at all these promises that are connected with the person that delights. He says, the person that delights, they, they become like a tree, planted by streams of water, like strong, unmovable, unshakable in the midst of storms. But it's not just about their strength, it's about their sustenance. He says, their roots go down into the water and so their leaves don't wither. They yield fruit in season. Everything that they do prospers. He says, there's this promise when you delight in the word of God, you become strong, you become sustained. But it's not just about you. He says, you begin to bear fruit. Have you ever noticed uh, uh, an apple tree never bears an apple and then eats the apple? The fruit is never for the tree that bears it. The fruit is for someone else. And so he says, when you delight in the word, here becomes the fruit of your life. You're strong, you're well-sustained, you're well-fed, but your life also becomes a blessing for others. You give fruit to those that are around you. You provide shade for people around you. You give the ability for little kids to climb on you. You become a pillar for the next generation. You become a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know what that word prosper means in the scripture? It's been so abused by the health and wealth movement. So often it's taught, well, if you just read the Bible, then you'll always be rich and you'll always be healthy. And I'm like, that's just, that's heresy. That's ridiculous. The word prosper in the Old Testament, it means to get better and better, stronger and stronger over time. That's what that means. To get stronger and stronger over time. And so this is the proclamation of Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the person who delights in the word of God they're strong, they're sustained, they get better and better over time. They're a blessing to everybody around them. And I go, who doesn't want that? <laughs> How amazing is that? And I go, so if this is true, if it's true that when you delight in the word, why is it true? If it's true, which I believe it's true, why is it true? And I think there's a lot of things that we could look at, but I think about this moment um, several years ago. It was December 23rd, 2011, two days before Christmas, and I get this package in the mail, and uh, the, the package shows up, it's addressed to me, and on the front of it, in, in like red Sharpie, it says, do not open until Christmas morning, which is kind of a weird package to get, and, and uh, I'm not one to play by the rules, but for whatever reason, I played by the rules, and I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll wait in the angst for two days to see what it is, but I didn't open it up until Christmas morning, and I remember that Christmas morning, opening it up, and I pull out of this package, there are like 40 um, pieces of um, uh, copying paper, you know, a uh, printer paper that have been handwritten on. And I begin, uh, I immediately recognize the handwriting. It's the handwriting of my grandmother. She had very distinct penmanship. And I, I begin to read it and I recognize my grandmother has written a book to her grandchildren about her life. Now, here's what's so beautiful about this. We did not know she was writing this book. What made it so significant was she had died seven years earlier. 
And so here's this gift shows up at our house seven years earlier, and I thought, okay, either there's been a miracle and she's back from the dead and she sent me something for Christmas, or my aunts and uncles found something when they were cleaning out her house. It was the second, just a spoiler alert. They had found this book and they mailed it to me, and, and I'm reading it, and she's telling all these stories about her life, these stories that we'd never heard before. She tells a story about her childhood. She tells us a story uh, about this guy that was trying to date her the same time my grandfather was going after her. Apparently, the guy didn't have as strong of game as, as old Herbert did, you know, and so <laughs> she's just telling the story about him going after her. She's telling the stories about how much she paid for eggs in 1931 and all these things and our family tree. And I get to the end of that story and I, I realize that my grandmother did not give us that book in order for us to just fill our heads with facts about the price of gasoline and eggs in 1931. She had no interest in me understanding her dating history. She gave us that book because she wanted us to know her heart. Why does your life prosper when you're anchored in the word of God? Because the word is the revelation of the one for whom you seek. It's never just about the facts. It's never just about the rules. It's about the one that you meet as your life begins to dig down. Does that make sense? And I go, why is Psalm 1 true? Because when you begin to delight in the word, when you begin to meditate, when you, when you come to it, what you're experiencing is the weight and the profound mystery and the beauty of the one who is the word, who teaches the word, who obeys the word, who proclaims the word, who prays the word, and who will fulfill it in your life. It's the reason this book is not just inspirational, it's your lifeline in the kingdom of God. And here's my question for you. If the word of God was physical food, how would your health be? <laughs> how would your health be? On the other side of the promise is a warning, right? It says a person that's anchored in the word is like a tree, unshakable, sustained, so, but the person that neglects the word, he says their life is like chaff that is blown away, that is, un, that is un, uh, it's forgotten, it's unuseful, it's undesirable, and he says, and they won't stand in the judgment. And he lays it out before us, he says, blessed is the one that delights. Now, here's the elephant in the room. There's some of you that are sitting here and you're going, man, I delight in the word. This looks good, feels good, I'm on board with that. But what about the rest of you that go, man, I don't delight in the word of God the way that I want to delight in the word of God. This is me being confessional. I don't delight in the word of God the way that I want to delight in the word of God. I'm not there yet. I'm growing, but I'm not there yet. I go, how do you grow? How do we live in this place of both grace and grit so that we begin to grow in the ways of God? And here's what I found is that so often our growth in the kingdom, if we wanna become the kinds of people that delight in the things of God, it requires us to go on a journey of formation. And if any of you have sat down with me, if, if we've walked into a discipling relationship, you've seen this image, I always get out napkins and I draw pictures to help me understand what God's doing in my life. But one of the images that really strikes me as I think about what it means to grow in the word of God, I use this image, I draw a square and I think about what it looks like to move around that square to grow in God. And here's the deal, if you want to become a person that delights in the word of God, I think it starts in this place of desire. It starts in this place of desire. In other words, if you wanna grow in the word of God, if you wanna delight in it, there's gotta be a longing in your heart for it. And I, I am convinced that desire is cultivated in one of two ways. It's cultivated either proactively or reactively. 
It's, it's cultivated proactively, like I, when I was in the dorm room with my friend Paul from Sudan and I saw a vision of what life could be like and I thought, I want what he's got. And sometimes the way that this desire for more is cultivated in us is, is we begin to long for what we're seeing in someone else and it's proactively cultivated. But sometimes des desire is cultivated reactively where you've tried life your way, you've done life your way and it's miserable and you get so miserable, you go, hey, I've tried everything else, let me try a new way. On Tuesday night of this past week, our lawnmower had broken down. We have a little push mower, and uh, it had broken down, and my wife, Sydney, found this guy online that could fix our mower. So we called him and said, hey, where, where do we need to meet you? He said, meet me at the Shoney's parking lot in Franklin. I'm like, is this a drug deal or a lawnmower repair service? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what it is, but if you'll fix my mower, I'll be there. So I show up, and there's this older guy in the, in the Shoney's parking lot in Franklin. He takes my mower, and in about 20 minutes, he fixes it. And he's getting ready to bring the mower back to me, he says, hey, before I give you the mower, he says, you've got to let me tell you, uh, he says, you got to let me tell you my story. And I thought, okay, as long as the mower's fixed, I'll listen to the story. He didn't know anything about me. I didn't know anything about him. He starts telling me this story. He's in his early 70s. He starts telling me the story of 50 years earlier when he was a student at MTSU. And he's telling this story about, he's like, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. All of a sudden, I begin to realize this is this guy's testimony. He said, I wasn't a follower of Jesus. He says, I was getting drunk every night, smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, sleeping with any woman that I could find. He said, my life was miserable. And he said, my junior year in college, he said, my junior year in college, this one night, I came home miserable and I decided I was gonna kill myself. He said, so I came into my dorm room and I just cried out to God. I said, if there is a God, if you are real, I need you to send somebody to me tonight to show me the ways of Jesus. Otherwise, I'm gonna take my life. He said, within 10 minutes, somebody knocks on his door. This is one of those stories that sounds too good to be true. It's just true. I don't know how to prove it, but you know. He says, this guy shows up, knocks on his door, and says, hey, I'm a preacher. I was walking past this dorm, and the Holy Spirit told me to come to this room and to lead whoever was in it to Jesus. The guy falls down on his knees and says, literally, he says, what church do you preach at? I need to come to your church. And the guy says, I'm not here to bring you to my church. I'm here to, I'm here to help you find Jesus. And he leads this guy to Jesus and he talks about the ways that things begin to change for him. He said, two years later, I married that preacher's daughter. I'm like, that worked out good for you. You got saved and you got a girl. It's amazing. He, he said, I went on to, to start two churches and to pastor them. He says, we've now been married 50 years. He says, I've retired from full-time ministry. He says, but this is now my ministry. I fix lawnmowers and I have a captive audience and I make sure people know Jesus. And I said, oh my God, that's amazing. So if you need your mower fixed, I'll tell you where to go. Um, but, but I'm there, and he says, he, says, he says, hey, can I pray for you? And I, I said, of course, you'll pray for me. So he prays for me. At this point, he still doesn't know I'm a pastor, doesn't know anything about me. He says, he says I want to pray that you'd be a man that would hunger and thirst for the Word of God every day. He says, because it's the only thing that has changed my life over time. And I went, man, that's a good prayer. I'm preaching on that this Sunday. I needed an illustration. Thank you. That was timely. <laughs> But he had, this, he had this desire. His desire wasn't driven proactively by vision. His desire, his desire was cultivated reactively because his life was miserable. And I go, how do you begin to grow your roots down in Jesus through the word of God? It starts in this place of desire. Sometimes desire is birthed proactively. Sometimes it's reactively. You have this longing. Here's what I found is every journey of growth starts with desire and it almost always immediately ends up in this place of despair. <laughs> You know, in that phase of desire, you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
In the place of despair, you're like, I can do nothing. Jesus can't save me. Like, you just feel miserable. Have you ever tried to lean into that thing that God has put in your heart and you failed miserably? I go, this is the story of life in the kingdom of God. I wanna do it. I wanna do it. I remember when Sydney and I first got married, we, we set this goal. We said, we're gonna read the whole Bible together out loud in our home before our first anniversary. Very ambitious goal. Every night after dinner, we're gonna, we're gonna read it out loud. And so we put a little chart on our refrigerator because we're like that, you know, we're like, we'll check it off or whatever. Well, uh, we literally, the first year, guess how far we got? Genesis chapter 42. Now, if you don't know anything about, if you don't get that joke, okay, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. There's 66 books we wanted to read all 66 over the course of the year. We made it not even through the first book in the Bible. And I remember this desire all of a sudden found, its found itself in this place of crushing despair. Just despair, like, oh, we can't do this. And here's, here's what I found. Cole, put that picture back on the screen for me real quick. Here's what I found. is so many of us, we find ourselves in this death cycle between desire and despair, desire and despair. We, we, man, we want it, but then we can't do it. So we we hit the eject button and we try to go back and start all over. It's what some of you do relationally. The first three months of every relationship you're in is amazing. It's so full of desire. She's so perfect. That little laugh she has, it's not annoying, it's cute. And then you get into month four and all of a sudden it's like, I wanna drive off a cliff. This woman drive me crazy. And so all of a sudden, you go, okay, I'm out of the relationship. I don't know how to work this out. And you get back to that place of desire. We live in this place. Desire to despair, desire to despair. It's the journey of growth in the word of God. But it comes in this third place and it's the place of discipline. It's the place of discipline. Man, I want more of God. I want more of God. But it's not just his kindness to give us the word. Man, I've, I've got to walk it out. I've got, I've got to start bringing some grit alongside of God's grace. I've got to start bringing some discipline alongside of this desire. I've got to actually try it. Got to actually work it out. I read a story this summer about Tom Brady. Whether you like him or not, you got to admit he's one of the greatest football players that's ever played the game of football. And I was reading this article on his, his workout routine on his off days in the off season, and it was just detailing what he does in the off season on the off days. He works out five hours a day. And as you're talking about how he throws 100 footballs this far and 100 footballs this far and what he eats and what he does, and I thought, here's something amazing. This guy that has been graced with unbelievable athletic ability, he has partnered that grace with grit. He's partnered that desire with discipline. And here he is, one of the greatest that's ever played the game, and he's still walking with such discipline as though he's still trying to make the team. And I go, how do you grow? How do you grow? It starts with desire. It pushes through the place of despair. At some point, it's gotta be partnered with some discipline. And then you come into that moment that Psalm 1 is talking about. It's the place of delight. It's the place of delight where all of a sudden you're beginning to experience that thing that you long for. You wake up and go, I want the word. I long for the word. I'm thirsty for the word. I, I desire to live out the word. And here's what I found is every time a desire is birthed, there's this temptation in us to think that we can go counterclockwise in the journey and go straight from desire to delight. But can I just testify, it almost never works that way. That the thing you were made for is gonna require you to go on the journey. So here's what I want you to think about just for 10 seconds before we start landing the plane very practically. In regards to your relationship with the word of God right now, in regards to your relationship with the word of God, where do you find yourself in the journey? Where do you find yourself in the journey? 
Are you in a place of desire? Are you in a season of despair? Man, I want to read the word, but I can't seem to make that habit stick. Are you in a place of discipline where you're doing it, but it just feels empty and hollow? Are you in a place of delight? Maybe some of you look at that little square and say, I'm not even on the map because I don't even want it. Where do you find yourself in the journey? Here's how I wanna end our time together this morning. I wanna just go back around that square real quickly and I just wanna give you an action point. Wherever you find yourself in the journey, here's something you can do this week to start growing your roots down more deeply. And I just wanna give you permission. You can just check out. If you want, you can just hone in on the one part of the journey that you're in or you can take it all in if you want because you can use it later. But there's some of you here today and you would look at that chart and you would say, I don't have the desire. I'm not even on it. So what do you do if you don't have the desire for God's word? Here's your action item. I wanna invite you into a place of prayer. I wanna invite you to a place of prayer. Years ago, when I was longing to read more of God's word and I just didn't have the desire, I called my mom, who's one of the most faithful women I know in, in the word, and I said, what should I do? And she said, you should pray that Jesus would give you a hunger for his word and that he would remove anything from your life that's competing for that hunger. The Bible promises wherever a hunger is present, a filling is promised. Whoever hungers and thirsts for righteousness, you will be filled. I'm just telling you, if you start praying this, this isn't even me being a prophet, this is just me proclaiming the word of God. If you start asking Jesus to make you hungry for his word, he will do it. He will do it, and it may involve him removing some things from your life. But for some of you, you don't have the place of desire, and your action item this week is prayer. For some of you, you have the desire, and you go, okay, what's the next step? If you have the desire, I wanna challenge you this week to just develop a simple plan. Just develop a simple plan. It's the reason we're handing out these prayer guides. It takes 21 days to develop a habit, they say. I, for me, maybe just because I'm a slow learner, it takes me like a decade to develop a habit. But what we're saying is every morning, get in the word. Get in prayer. Like, Just start a simple plan. Your simple plan may be the first 10 minutes of the morning before I touch my phone, I'm going to read the word of God. That may be your plan. Watch what God will do. The way you cultivate desire is you bring a simple plan into that place of desire. Some of you are here this morning and you look at that chart and you go, I'm not in the place of desire. I'm in the place of despair. I've been trying to do this and I'm so discouraged. I go, what do you need if you're in a place of despair? I believe you need community and you need confession. In other words, you need people around you that are in the journey with you, and you don't just need people around you, but you need people around you that you can be honest with, vulnerable with. You can say, hey, here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm stuck. I'm trying to read the Bible, but it's cold, it's hollow, it's, it's painful. And what I found is in a season of despair, there is nothing like a community in which I can be confessional with to grow. It will do you no good to sign up for a house church if you're not confessional. And it will do you no good to be confessional in private places if you can't be confessional in relational places. What do you need in the spaces of despair? You need community and you need confession. What about in a place of discipline? Some of you are there and you're like, man, I just, I wanna keep growing. What do you need? You need tools and you need tenacity. Just download a, a Bible reading plan off of version. Or pick up my favorite book. Uh, I've given hundreds of copies of this book away. It's called 30 Days to Understanding the Bible by a guy named Max Anders. If you've been stuck in the Bible, pick up that book, and I promise you 15 minutes a day over the next 30 days, your life will be unlocked in the scriptures. I, I promise you. If it's not, bring the book to me, and I'll pay you twice. 
Uh, literally, I will buy it back for twice what you purchased it for. My wife is coughing because we don't have the budget for that. I'm just telling you, that's how confident I am. That's how con- it'll change you if you do it. What do you need in the place of discipline? Sometimes you just need the right tool and then you just need to stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. What if you're in the place of delight? What if you're in the place of delight? What do you need? You need to keep growing and you need to help others grow. If you're in the place of delight, what do you need? Keep growing and you need to help somebody else grow. In the words of my favorite theologian, the Dosa Keys man, um, I love what he says at the end of all those commercials. He says, stay thirsty, my friends, right? Like it's like, I go, what, what do you do if you delight in the word of God? Man, stay thirsty. Keep drinking of the word. <laughs> like, like keep, coming, keep coming to the word of God and then help others grow. Help others grow. I think about my friend Janet Sladen who helped us lead Awaken Nashville. This is an amazing woman in her mid-60s. I hope she's cool with me telling her age. I didn't ask her, but she's just this amazing like fireball of woman. And one of her favorite things to do is to run triathlons. And every time she runs a triathlon, she wins the triathlon like in her age bracket. But here's what's so amazing. Not only does she win it in her age bracket, she just competed a few weeks ago and she literally beat everybody in the three age brackets below her, both male and female. She's just a beast, like she is a straight beast. But here's what I love about her. Not only does she love triathlons, she wants to help other people love them. And so she finds other people and she says, I don't wanna just keep getting better, I wanna help others get better. So if you delight in the word of God, what do you need to do? You keep growing and you need to find somebody else who's behind you in the journey and say, hey, come with me as I teach you how to love the word of God. Begin transferring your delight into the hearts of other people. Does that make sense? Blessed are those who delight in the word of God, for they are like trees planted by streams of water who yield their fruit in season, whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's the promise for those that delight. And if you're not there yet, man, God will help you get there. I love that moment in Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Joshua's an old man coming into a new season of leadership and God looks at him. Joshua chapter one, verse eight, I'll paraphrase it, but it'll be up on the screen. I love what God says to Joshua. He says, you study this book, you meditate on this book, you obey this book, and then and only then will what? You prosper. Guys, the one that you're looking for longs to reveal himself to you by the power of his Holy Spirit in community through this. As we seek to be rooted, let's not make it more complicated than it is. So here's your homework for this week, okay? I'm gonna put this up on the screen, Cole. Two simple things. I wanna challenge you to answer these two questions. In regards to God's word, where are you at in the journey? Where are you at in the journey? And then number two, what is the simple action that you're gonna take wherever you are in that journey in order to grow this week? I wanna invite you to stand up with me right now. I'm gonna send you to communion. These questions will be on the screen. You can process these over communion on your own with the Lord. You can process this in community together, however you see fit. But let's stand together. I wanna pray the prayer that my mom prayed over me almost 13 years ago that God would give me a desire. So I just wanna pray this over you because I believe God will answer this. Father, I love you. Thank you for the promises that are attached to being anchored and rooted in you through your word. Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you pour out your spirit on this church and would you give us an unquenchable desire for your word, a desire that is so intense we will break down any barrier to get to the place of delight. 
God, give us that desire. God, move us through whatever the places we may feel stuck. And God, would you make us people that are strong and rooted and established in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks. Amen.